podcast, and this week we're going to summer camp with Lumberjanes. Then, as if that trip into the Wayback Machine isn't enough for us, we're going to do some time traveling, we think, with eight. First off, let's poke some fun at the internet and George R. R. Martin's quest to taunt them with the ghost of Robert Jordan, and maybe sneak, sneak in some Legends of Tomorrow later. I'm Nick Hemsing. And I'm Brock Beauchamp. Yeah, George R. R. Martin has announced that <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Winds of Winter is not done. Shocking. Mm-hmm. And the entirety of the internet gasps in, you know, exclamation at surprise over this happening. Which means the TV show is going to pass the novels. Which, I mean, I'm going to read the novels, uh, the last two. But the TV show is kind of the main um you know if i if i had to pick one that i was gonna watch or read and go all the way through it'd be the tv show and it's not a difficult decision well it's the one that'll be finished within george r R. martin's lifetime true um but the tv show is just better it it just is they they cut out a lot of stuff that uh distracted the audience and went off on wild tangents and became confusing and all those things you know, they just trimmed a bunch of it out. Yeah, I, I do love my, my favorite part of the whole thing is that um, and, and George R. R. Martin's reaction, which is also great, is that the everybody goes like, George, are you going to finish this before you die? And he's like, hey, fuck you guys. Yeah, exactly. He's like, wait a minute. I'm the one who might die. Screw you. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, but to be to be fair, nobody looks at that guy and goes. Man, he's encroaching on seventy. The uh, end is about as round as he is tall. Yeah, he's not. Um, he's not a model of physical fitness for sure. No, and, but and all of that is fine if you know he didn't take you know five to six years to complete each book. Yeah. So the uh, so and then you know and then we you know of course Robert Jordan made the series that would never end. Um, the uh, but people kind of look at George and go, um, yeah, we know. I, I know you get pissed and all, but you know we kind of have a point. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but, let's you see. Know, the it's... series, re- the television show, released in 2011, mm-hmm. and all five books were out at that point. And I think uh, Dance with Dragons, whatever the fourth one is, I can't even remember anymore. The Crow one, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. That had been out for about a year. I think maybe yeah. longer. So he's, yeah, he's looking at six, seven years now for the book. That's a little bit ridiculous, but you know, they'll come out when they come out. If they come out, I'm sure yeah, I mean, HBO has the rest of the series pretty much locked down. And they said they do. So they, they basically have a, a, a complete story to finish with. So, and I mean, I'm sure that took a lot of t- Martin's time. It did, and uh, I'm sure it did, and it also means that the books at some point may diverge further if he decided to change his mind, you know, what he wants to happen, Um, which is all all fine. But the thing is, though, is that, of course, the problem I still have is, you know, he he completes both the other books, and the way that story ended up at the end of the fifth book, I still am not sure how the hell he'll 
tie all those loose ends together in two books. Yeah, and, I'm I'm just worried it's going to be one of those last 100 pages of book seven, everything magically comes together. It's been my yeah. fear since like book four, three or four. Yeah, the uh, he has loved you know he has loved tracking characters off into nowhere land. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the series is good. It is pretty decent. The uh, my problem, of course, is is that the uh, one of the characters that I'm supposed to like a lot is still one of my least favorite characters. Who, Clancy? Uh, yeah, yeah. I have I have not liked Daenerys, Daenerys for uh, most of the series. And, yeah, well, uh, it was. She was really good in season one and maybe part of season two, and then she really turned into a petulant little brat for a mm-hmm. long time. And that was disappointing. But she does in the book, too. She does in the book, yeah. I mean, it is staying true to the book in that case, sadly enough. But, yeah, I'm hoping she pulls it back together because she was such a good character early in the story. And I don't know why Martin had to go try to undermine one of his two really, or I guess three, Arya, uh, three really good female characters. Yep, I, I don't know. Maybe he felt that that's the way she should act, but yeah. like, but it was it's it's really difficult reading. Um, petulant teenage characters are really tough reads. They are um, the because uh, no matter how, even if you think that's realistic, they're so tough because the adult because adults just just as they get tired of it when an actual teenager acts that way, they get tired when a literary teenager acts that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The, uh, I think I think they're just really tough characters to have in general. They are, um, and I think you have to keep them in relatively small doses. At least yeah. their their whininess in small doses. Uh, but Legends of Tomorrow is coming out. This is a show that kind of blindsided me. I didn't even know it was coming out until a week ago, maybe, maybe two weeks. And it is another CW offshoot of the DC universe. It's taking basically. All the scrap heap characters from Arrow and the Flash and putting them in a show, which could be interesting because a lot of those characters are likable in their respective Flash and Green Arrow incarnations. But it will be interesting to see how they fare once they get more screen time. So it's pulling uh, Dr. Martin Stein, who is Firestorm, pulling Ray Palmer, who is the Atom. Pulling Sarah Lance, who is Black Canary. Uh, Hot Girl is appearing. Uh, Captain Cold, who is actually one of my favorite characters from uh, the Flash series. Because he's, at least initially, he seemed like a pretty complex and interesting villain. But now they're doing one of the things I hate that they do with complex and interesting villains. And that's probably turning him into an anti-hero. You know, it's okay to keep a villain a villain. Not every character who audiences like needs to be redeemed. This is one of my really big problems with 90s comic books, where every villain that audiences loved was turned into a gritty anti-hero. It's like, ah, come on, guys. But anyway, there's a lot of interesting people in this cast. I'm surprised I didn't know about this show, which is kind of a testament to how much good television there is out there 
It's you can. I'm sure you can answer this off the top of your head. Uh, mm-hmm. Adam or Ant Man? Who was first? Oh, you know, I don't know. I think Ant Man was, but I'm not entirely sure because Ant Man was real early Avengers. Uh, and I don't know that much about the Adam because I I was never as big of a DC fan as uh, I was Marvel. Oh yeah, uh, the Adam was way later, uh, 1990. So I looked at the picture, the promo picture of. Uh, yeah, they look real similar. I'm like, wow, um, the uh, Marvel gonna sue somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Ant Man no, was no, 1962. This isn't the GoBot, the GoBot Ant Man. <laughs> oh God, GoBot Ant Man. I like that. That's kind of exactly the way he comes across. But yeah, uh, he just has the he just has like the cheap visor, kind of like just the visor instead of like the full the full helmet. So mm-hmm. you know the uh, a, a little less detail uh, in the helmet, but you know a costume that looks really similar. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ant Man was one of the. Uh, original Avengers, I believe. I, I think he was. I think he was on the cover of Avengers number one. As you hear us furiously typing yeah. in the background, <laughs> letting, having the internet uh, answer all of our questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he sure is. He's on event, the cover of Avengers number one. So tell me why I should care about Legends of Tomorrow. Because I know jack about the show other than that it has discount ant-man on it <laughs> go bot ant-man <laughs> go bot ant-man uh because well i wouldn't fall over myself watching the show you know getting in a, a big rush i would if you're a fan of green arrow and the flash the show's going to be more of the same i suspect uh almost all the characters were introduced in one of those two shows so it's just a matter of, well, did you like those characters in those shows? Here's more of them. Well, it's the, one of those uh, things. I'm going to wait until the entire season comes out in Netflix, and then I will stream it while I'm drawing something. It's not going to yeah. be something that I'm going to go out of my way to watch. But I don't go out of my way to watch Green Arrow or uh, Arrow. I just wish they'd call it Green Arrow. Come on, guys. And The Flash. Well, the uh, yeah, in a world where I still have to finish the last few episodes of Jessica Jones and uh, um, Daredevil's coming back, yeah, know, yeah, foreseeable I, future, and uh, Game of Thrones is coming back. Yeah, I yeah. don't don't worry about it too much. All that stuff you just listed is better. So, <laughs> well, good. The uh, yep. I've got some TV. To, I've definitely got some TV to catch up. And uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead. Just yeah, I haven't that. even started that yet. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Have you been, Have you watched any of Making a Murder? No, um, I'm actually. Uh, I'm glad that I hadn't before. I heard some of the criticism because the mm-hmm. criticism is criticism is kind of important to hear. Um, and that is uh, one of the things that the documentarians do kind of cut is uh that you don't hear about the other things that he had done yes and i didn't even know anything about the series before i watched it and i knew that by the end of the series i said the the filmmakers are building a focused narrative here and Mm -hmm. this is not the truth this is not 
This is not the entirety of the situation. There are things that are being withheld from us. Uh, with that said, there's still a lot to be learned from the show, especially the first two episodes and the wrongful conviction in 1985. It, it teaches us a lot about a system that is really effed up and how it just railroads the poor and stupid. Yeah, I think uh, it's important to note that even if the if the even if the person is a very bad person, <laughs> the uh, the justice system still needs to work as designed. Yes, and um, that's when I finished the uh, show. I basically said, I wish people would focus more on the systemic errors and oversteps that led to this, and less on Steve Avery. Well, Steve Avery is other... probably guilty. Yeah, but the, the, yeah, the problem is the problem is is that um just guessing just by kind of guessing where the 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 document the uh documentary goes is that if if you build that narrative and you do uh trim stuff out of it then you it you actually incite you you are you will lead to people going back and 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 criticizing your work um based on what you excluded mm-hmm um, in there's something you have to, you have to address that you have to address that stuff or it, it, it could may it could mean that your message or whatever is lost. Yeah. And it's the same problem I have with a lot of Michael Moore documentaries where they're insightful and they make a lot of good points, but I struggle to call them a documentary at that point because are they a documentary or are they building a narrative to suit a viewpoint? And yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult thing for a documentarian to, uh, uh, you know, get through and uh, to make some tough decisions about. But I could tell just by watching Making a Murderer that there's a ton of stuff they just completely withheld from the audience. It's not like they alluded to it, alluded to it quickly and then moved on to something else. They just wiped it out. Like the Steve Avery case, we do not see the prosecution's case at all all and i'm like wait a minute that's a problem Um, it's 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 incredibly important to the story yes it is the uh it has the uh the admitting that has the potential to have people completely discount your entire work yeah and that's that's a problem because i wish people would focus on like i said earlier the systemic oversteps that were done to these two people and focus on the system, the arrogance, the incompetence, and all these things that the police and DAs and prosecution and attorneys displayed and focus less on Steve Avery and Brendan Dassey. Because there, there's a lot to be learned from this documentary. I just I just don't think it's about Steve Avery. Yeah, I, I want to see it at some point because it's, it's become such – the talk yeah i mean it's this um, cultural phenomenon yeah so uh i do want to see it but now i i but going into it i i'm going to go into it with that that michael moore kind of yep kind of skepticism and it, you know uh, to be fair with that much skepticism i it's kept me from watching a single one of michael moore's documentaries um just I've watched because about half i think I just I, the uh it's one of those things like ah, i probably should watch at least one of them but man the uh it's one of those things where the got the the man himself actually kills the 
the whole thing for me. Yeah, I, I mean, like, he... I, I can't get past the fact how how fundamental fundamentally uh, snide he is. Yeah, and he makes a lot of good points, and he says a lot of valuable things, and I don't disagree with him on a lot of points. But the way he presents his case, uh, I find disturbing, and I find it um, very commonplace, and more so in our culture where people are building these echo chambers and they're not trying to approach a situation objectively anymore. If they want to convince you of their case, they don't present it and say, these are the facts. This is why I think I'm right. It's almost to the point of lying. It's, it's hiding to the point of just extreme deception and saying, you should believe me because this, we're going to ignore all this other stuff because that doesn't help my case instead of bolstering my case or whatever, you know. Because then they think nobody will watch it. Yeah, and it's sad. And we see it in news channels and we see it across the board in this country and world. And I just don't... Yeah, instead of making a case, it actually... It it further polarizes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's just not... It's not... I, I think that it's something that they think they have to do um, or they feel so strongly a certain way that they want to, they think that they can force an opinion by making the case in a very shaped way or or uh, putting out the information that they feel is valid and not cutting and, and cutting the information that they feel is invalid mm-hmm. um, the uh, all they're, all they're doing all they're doing is basically saying you know this is this is my opinion based on these few facts and uh eventually you know everybody else goes well you forgot all this so you're completely wrong yeah uh-huh. it makes it very easy for the opposition to discount everything you've said yeah and the opposition and the opposition may be wrong for many ways but you've given them so much ammunition um mm-hmm. that you you've killed your entire your entire uh um, the entire purpose behind your message or the entire yeah. purpose behind your work Anyway, we're, we're anyway, that's way, way, way off the rails. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about lumber, Lumberjanes. How do we yeah. get on this? Let's switch from, uh, you know, super serious making a murder to children's comic book. <laughs> yeah, let's switch. Yeah, let's switch from something that we didn't mention that we were going to talk about at all and uh, switch to something, you know, so we could squeeze in some time for the main feature. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lumberjanes. Joe, April, Mal, Molly, and Ripley are five best pals determined to have an awesome summer together. And they're not going to let any insane quest or an array of supernatural critters get in their way. Lumberjanes is one of those punk rock, love everything about it stories that appeals to fans of basically all excellent things. Written by Grace Ellis and Noel Stevenson, with art by Brooke Allen. This book is from Boombox, which is Boom's uh, children's imprint. And, man, I, I have a lot to say about this book, but what were your impressions of it? You know, it's a story about these five girls in camp, and there's all these supernatural events happening around them, and they're trying to figure out what's happening. The camp counselor knows something weird is happening but doesn't say, and it's just about them exploring, essentially. And what were your thoughts on it? Hello? You know, it really helps that if I, you know, cough or something and I mute 
that I unmute when I'm done. Okay. Um, so uh, I thought that the story, I thought that the the action, I thought that the introduction to each issue, and I thought that the um, I thought that there's the overall feel was was good. It, it was a, a great theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I the only thing that I felt was is that it was I know I know children's comics tried to move pretty fast. And I almost felt that it was just a little too um, jittery. I mean, just just a little too um, jumping from uh, jumping through an even jumping through an action scene. Uh, just a little too much. Things moved. To, things moved too fast, even for a children's comic. Yeah, and I I really liked the high level concept of it. You know, and they had it be five girls instead of five boys, which would be typical. So it's, you know, it's a comic that appeals to little girls. That's great. There's not enough of those that aren't, you know, Barbie and, you know, all that princess bullshit. I appreciate that about it a lot. It's a really silly story that works well when it kind of flirts with amusing borderline crazy but then at times it descends into almost nonsensical. And it just it, – it seems like it undercuts itself by going for the crazy card a little bit too it becomes, often. It becomes a little hard – it becomes a little hard to follow. Yeah. There's, there's seemingly some important things that are kind of going on – that are kind of going on important to the sort of overall story. And they become a little too – they're a little too momentary in the story. They just they just sort of there, then fly by. And you're like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> the uh, that seemed important, um, and then gone, and, and then not enough, and then not enough really about it later. It, it just becomes it becomes a little hard to track. Um, the uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I, to me it just felt to me it just felt. Um, I don't know how to say it. jittery is the best word that I had. Yeah, I guess. and that's a, that's a pretty uh, good way to describe it. And you know, we don't do a lot of children's books, but we did review Ghostopolis a about a month, month and a half ago, maybe. And that it felt so reserved compared to this, and it didn't feel frantic like this book does, and the. You know, frantic. That was a good word. That's yeah. a better word. And you know the the frantic pace of this book works to its advantage at times, but then it just becomes a blur, and you don't know what's happening. And then after a page of not knowing what's happening, you kind of stop caring what's happening. Whereas Ghostopolis had a lot of funny, crazy things in it, but it, man, it felt it felt so reserved compared to this. And as a result, I think it's storytelling felt much stronger. Yeah. There is such a thing as writing, um, creating a comic on too much caffeine. Yeah. The, uh, which this, this definitely feels like, you know, um, I'm not bashing the book and I'm not certainly not. No, it's still, it's still, 
let's be let's be fair. It's still kind of a fun book to read. Oh, it's definitely fun. Uh, it's it's a fun book to read, and I I, I think we we led with the main negative point of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the uh, if you you know going through it, the as I said the intros to each chapter are fun. Um, the and leading into you know explaining or working that chapter intro, which is like a page from a Girl Scout manual. Yeah, the Lebron James manual. Yeah, um, that was a really nice work, touch. Yeah, and working that into that next issue is great. It's 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 great. The uh, the characters, uh, which because of because of how frantic it is, it takes a little bit of time to kind of differentiate the characters. Mm-hmm. It does um, just because you're because you're kind of reading a little fast, um, and then you're just like, oh wait, that's okay. That's the character that uh, that's the character that's kind of like the 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 little uh the little karate girl um mm-hmm. the uh and ripley. You know, yeah ripley uh and that's you know uh um and you know the only one i was able to differentiate for a while i was like oh okay there's the there's the character with the uh coonskin hat yeah um, which they actually had a they have a lot of really nice touches in this book like uh, maybe it's the third or fourth issue or it's actually the fifth or sixth maybe where the Kunstin cap comes alive, and she just goes, "Duh, you guys! There were so many clues dropped about this." <laughs> and it was actually a really because there weren't any at all. Um, and there's a lot of really nice touches in the book, like you said, the forewords that read like a Girl Scout's manual, and then the Lumberjanes kind of anthem that they all you know pledge. And then one of them, one of the lines is always crossed out, and it says, mm. "Then there's a line about God or whatever." <laughs> which is such a great joke because everybody remembers, you know, your various pledges for groups you were in as a kid or whatever. They always had some crazy line about God. And for our generation who weren't very religious, where I was like, why is this line here? I, I don't care about this. And well, it's, it's, just... always, and it's always a che- it's always that little shot. It's that little yep. shot at, at uh, the at the scouts. Uh, the scouts do so. Yeah, the uh, which which is fun to take. So I I thought that was pretty funny. And the the uh, the good thing about it too is in the first line where that appears and it's it's scratched out. Mm-hmm. It's something like it's like this is the first. Uh, it's the first taste of that the comic is going to be a little the the comic is going to be a little goofy because the lumberjanes manual reads normal. Yes. It reads like uh, they do a good job of making it read like it's a, you know, inspiring page out of, uh, you know, to get you excited about this next activity or whatnot. And uh, the uh, and it, it, that the pledge is totally made up by, you know, somebody from the 50s or 60s or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and that little touch in there is is just enough is just enough to set you on the path or, or prepare you for, you know, a fun, a fun comic. Yeah. A fun little, a, a, a well, I said fun kids comic. I, I guess it could be a, a comedy of any type because you could, I could easily fit that in any sort of comedy genre, but yeah. And the book, when the book reels itself in, it's a little bit better. And one of my, I can't say pet peeves, but, annoyances with other unrelated comics like the profit reboot and which is very very mature but it's really easy to write crazy like if you just want to put nonsensical just 
randomness on a page that's not hard to write. And this book no, kind no, totally, of... totally. we should totally we should totally talk about nonsensical crazy. In fact, I think we should talk about God is dead again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, you just had to bring that up, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> but it's not hard to write just insanity. Because all you do is have something pop into your head and then you just put it down. And maybe you shuffle them around and rearrange it. It's just, it's not terribly difficult to write. And when this book is at its best, it's when it's reeling itself in a little bit. You know, when it's making little nods to Indiana Jones. There's basically an entire episode that's a nod to The Last Crusade. And there's a lot of touches like that. And that's when the book is really working best. And when it starts going into just what the hell is happening and the art kind of goes on a roller coaster with the writing there's times when the book gets really crazy and the art starts getting really crazy and you it it just makes it so you can't tell what's happening at all you're like what is going on here and that's that's the weakest part of the book but overall i would definitely recommend this to kids yeah yeah, I, I still it does I think a lot it, it, right. It does a lot right. The kids would enjoy it. Although we spent ninety percent of what we were talking about on the negative, because um, we keep going back to that. Uh, but the uh, characters, once you track, get, kind of track them all. The characters are all fun. Um, the uh, you love Ripley right off the bat. Yeah, I, She's I, kind I did of the love... crazy little kung fu character, and 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 hipster yetis were great. Yeah. The, oh, there are. Yeah, the hipster yetis are hilarious. I, 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 the uh, that's one of the parts that made me love the start liking the book a lot. Um, the uh, that and there was the little touches of, <clears throat> I think it was from Ripley. Uh, there they fall into a cavern where there's some crystals and Ripley puts her face behind one, and so you see all of them standing there, and then there's this little caricature of her face coming through a crystal. Um, the uh, the uh, and then. Um, how they defeat some of the challenge, the challenges that they come up against is also great. I really um, liked the gender role reversal with the boys camp where yeah. the boys camp was super organized and the boys just wanted to sit around and make cookies mm-hmm. and do all the boring things that you would typically associate in previous art with the girls camp while the boys are the ones out being rambunctious. Well, that's flipped in this. And that's one of the things that made me really like the book. Well, it, it's so it's it had to be cookies too because there's really only one thing that everybody associates with the Girl Scouts. Yep, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what else they do. There's always a oh Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, um, so that that had to be done. The uh, so yeah, it, it also allows people to look at that a little bit and go, wow, is that the only thing we associate with the Girl Scouts? Yeah. <laughs> like, bo- boys, you know, Boy Scouts, it's merit badges and, you know, mm-hmm. camping and all this. And then Girl Scouts, it's like, oh, those they make cookies. Yeah, which um, they don't even make. They just sell. Well, they just sell, yeah. yeah but and, sell. And, and, and I know, obviously, it's not that's not the truth of it. I mean, there's obviously a lot more. But that's the perception. But that's a perception. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's make fun with let's make fun of that perception. So, yeah, and yeah, I, I thought that was a really nice touch. And you know, if I had a uh, daughter, I would absolutely get her all the issues of this book and have her read it because 
you know, so she could be way disappointed when she goes to camp. Yeah, so she could be way disappointed. disappointed. Well, it it might it might provide uh, a good way to keep her away from Disney princesses for you know maybe a couple months. Yeah, the uh, I still I, I think my favorite uh, review of a Disney of a Disney princess movie was um, what was it? Um, it was like everything that was wrong with Little Mermaid. Um. And that was one of those stories that once dissected, you went, oh, that's a really creepy story. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's probably the creepiest of all the of all the princess uh, princess movies. Um, If you haven't seen it, I recommend it because it will it will make that entire movie feel dirty to watch. Like you would never want to show that never want to show that to a, a to a little girl. Um, the uh, with the the actual themes that that movie has, um, and I do uh, appreciate the uh, meme that's going around. One of about a million Star Wars memes where Kylo Ren has been photoshopped into a lineup of Disney princesses. <laughs> I love the Kylo Ren character. I think he's a very nuanced and interesting character, but it's a good joke. It is. Um, they've had a lot of fun with Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, the uh, something that we never got to talk to uh, talk about in our Star Wars, uh, our Star Wars uh, review, mm-hmm. um, but the uh, the uh, emo Kylo Ren is the gift that keeps giving. Yeah, it's um, good. Um, it's and the my favorite shot was that somebody took uh, Kylo Ren and put him in one of Princess Amidala's hair pieces. <laughs> nice. And said in an in an alternate world where Kylo Ren idolized his grandmother instead of his, his grandfather. grandfather. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so yes, there's a lot of the internet. The internet has come through on Kylo Ren. So real quick, Lumberjanes, yay read or nay don't read. I say yay I say, read, but not super strong. Yeah, it's 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 read. It's a read, but um, if you have kids, absolutely. Yeah, kids might be less irritated mm-hmm. uh then uh by it by you know, some of the we're not the target but, demographic so but and that's okay. yeah but even yeah even the not the target demographic demographic still a little frantic yeah um, it is it could it could be a little less frantic and still appeal to a kid kid's audience so uh that's just my feel on it. but yeah it's still a good read yeah for sure uh so uh we're gonna cover a couple things real quick before we jump into the next book uh there is not going to be a The Force Awakens director's cut. Shocking. Uh, there's never been a Star Wars director's cut. There's been a re-release, you know, 20 years after the fact. But no one should be surprised by this, nor should anyone really care. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, uh, the, that is super not this surprising. Is, this has been your public service announcement from yes. your local Star Wars geek. Yes. Um, and one thing that, of course, the internet is in outrage mode about because the internet, that's really, I can't even say it's what it does best. It's all it does. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, you can't, you know, you can't say, uh, uh, you know, you can't say that a screwdriver, you know, a, uh, Phillips screwdriver screws in screws. I said, but yes, that's, that's what it does best. Yeah. That's all it does. Yeah, stop objectifying the screwdriver. You know, (laughs) then this whole like internet rally comes around in defense of the screwdriver. 
But uh, the the people in charge of the Preacher television adaptation are going to be making minor, they say, story changes with Garth Ennis's approval. Uh-oh. And I actually, I welcome it. I don't think there's some stuff that's going to translate to television. Um, Garth Ennis started, you know, getting a little bit on the weird side. And I, I, I have no idea how they're going to handle the descendant of Jesus character, for example. And I don't see them being able to handle that in the way they did in the comic. Which won't start some sort of uproar. <laughs> well, and I'm even okay with the uproar. I'm just talking about the actual presentation of that character. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how they do that. Yeah, well, so the main things that I don't want, everything I don't want them to change about the book mm -hmm. is, is the I if they set off the beginning of the story so that the if they stick to the first 10 issues or so then everything else should be fine yeah that's kind of how i feel as well the story starts out so strong in preacher just kind of run with that and it's not it's not crazy the first 10 issues aren't comic book crazy so there's things you can change there's things you can change down the line mm-hmm but don't get crazy about change. Don't don't change the uh, the early core the core pieces. Mm -hmm. Or that's where I think that's for me as a big fan. That's where you would get rejection for me. Yeah, is uh, is everything at the beginning kind of needs to be the same. Yeah, um, similar. I, I want the same. I want the same. Bi I want the same big move story movers. Yeah, for sure. I want all. And this is this is my requirement with virtually any. Uh, adaptation of another work is get the characters and their motivations and attitudes correct and the rest should just fall in line yes yeah i i don't care about the events so much as i care about why why are the characters doing things uh what what world perspective do they have and if you get those things right i'm generally satisfied and we can go on and tell a slightly different story. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just praying, but I can, yeah, I'm, I can't wait for this to come out. Yeah. I can't wait. I just, I just want the, I just want the core. Keep the, keep the core. Mm -hmm. The, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, they'd probably do something different with the, the Jesus descendants story. Um, the, uh, but there's some parts of it that just can't change. Um, the uh well i think there's some parts that they won't change because there's so there's such strong story elements yeah that to change them in any way would be um well, would shooting be yourself in the foot i mean it's one of the reasons why people love it and it's one of the it's one of the reasons why you want to make the show in the first place so why would you change that yeah the uh um so i guess uh, well i guess we'll just see <laughs> what yeah. when did, when did, when's the pilot um, i think april maybe Oh God, April's going to be brutal. Um, it, well, isn't, I, it, isn't uh isn't Daredevil back in April too? Who you know? I don't remember now. Uh, Daredevil season two is uh, okay. Yep. Sorry, the internet did not tell me immediately upon the first five seconds. Ah, uh, it is March. Okay. 
safe. I'm safe. I get. I have. I have. I have the 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 required three days to finish Daredevil season two. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. That could be. It just has a 2016 TBA uh, for the date. But for some reason, I seem to remember something's ending in April on AMC, and it would make sense for them to chase that with Preacher. But who knows? It could be later than that. You know, it's 2016 sometime. So. We'll get to watch uh, it I'm sure something something ending in April is probably The Walking Dead or something. Yeah, that that was my thinking, but I'm so out of touch with The Walking Dead at this point that I don't really know what's happening there. I watch that show when I run out of other things to watch. <laughs> uh, well, we still watch it. Liz is a big yeah. fan. Oh, okay. Um, the uh, so we're uh, um, we still watch that. Although that show, that show is what it does something that I, that absolutely irritates the fuck out of me. It will start to make a lot of sense. It will start to treat things very, uh, rationally. Mm-hmm. Um, it will go several issues, several episodes where, where people make a, like, okay, we made a good plan. Then something went wrong. And then it will hit an episode that is nothing but mental torture yes. where you go, why the fuck would anybody do that? You the the uh, it was it's sheer stupidity. There's no excuse for it. You all deserve to be shot. <laughs> yeah, and it, the, we've uh, had this conversation about the reader pa- or the audience packed w- yeah. in post-apocalyptic uh, film literature, whatever. And it's that the characters aren't complete morons because you make a pact with the reader that if they've lived this long, they can't be that stupid. And if you make and doubly on top of that, if you make a reader or audience care about a character and then you kill that character in the worst way possible, you are giving your audience the middle finger because you have undermined all their emotional baggage that goes with that character. Yeah. It's, it's the Jon Snow problem that, uh, that Game of Thrones had Mm -hmm. that he can't be dead. Yeah. He can't be dead because you, it's, it's just like letting out this primal scream and kicking your collective audience straight in the crotch. Yeah. <laughs> There's the, uh, the, um, they say, well, he, he could be dead. They kill people. I said, no, because if they do that, it is the worst storytelling I've ever, you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there's no, because unlike many other characters they've killed, there is no point to him. Yeah. And if he dies, there is absolutely no point to the character. It serves no the uh, to spend that much time with him and have him die um, just to what kick off somebody else's story. No, nah, he 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 has to be a central character. Yep. The um, by this point in the story, there are certain characters that, regardless of how much how much George really likes to not give people an idea of where he's going, or you know, give make the, the feeling that somebody is safe. There are certain characters that now, by this point, have to survive until the end. Jamie Lannister, yeah. Arya, Jon Snow. Who am I missing? Uh, the other Lannister. Uh, uh, oh, it's Tyrion, of course. Tyrion, Tyrion of course. Yep. Um, uh, Sansa does. Sansa has to make it. Um, I, I see. I personally no, don't think spent, she does they, because they, they I. Say, they, I spent five books wanting her to die horribly, and that would be <laughs> the greatest emotional fulfillment of that character is to see her die horribly. 
even though I agree with you on a cerebral level that no, they can't do that to her. I still wish they would. Yeah. So she has to make it. The uh, some of them, some of them can Daenerys, die. Of they course. Can, yeah. Some of them can't can die, but they can't die until the near the end. Yes. Cersei can we, die, but she won't. Um, uh, yeah. They, they would have to find a new villain. Yeah, Cersei, Cersei, well, Cersei has to make it. Cersei has to make it to the end because there's she no, needs to be the villain because they has, killed she, her dad. So because there's only one villain. Yep. She's she, the only she's one the, left. She, she's the only villain. The White Walkers. Uh, to his detriment of his story are not a villain because they're not the villain of the story because they are uh, ill-introduced. They're almost, you know, they're, 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 they're a perennial phantom, mm -hmm. but they are, there's no, there's no investment in them. And nobody cares. Well, and they can still be a villain, but at this point it's impossible for their less to be anything less than a triangle. Yeah. It's the what everybody against the White Walkers, while the Lannisters are against Daenerys. That's the only way this can work. <clears throat> now so. they could now they could team up to fight the White Walkers, but ultimately, either the Lannisters or Daenerys and Tyrion need to win. Yeah. So, so. it's a so the, the uh, regardless of how, how much flack he try uh, you know crap he tries to throw in the way some certain things just have to happen yeah and he, he can't kill any of the major major characters anymore yeah teasing and, and that's why teasing killing a major character is is full is stupid it's not even necessary we know you can't kill him mm -hmm. so you're you're doing something that we're doing something that we knew you couldn't do yeah so although it would be funny if he just pulled the ultimate dick move and just killed him well yeah then we would go Oh, that's horrible cool. storytelling. But yeah, we, cool. what the, you just said this... would be wrong at that point. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but but I, actually, because it would be horrible storytelling. Yeah, and therefore, you know, we go okay. Well, then you <laughs> did something that's horrible storytelling. Yeah, and it's one of those things that would seriously damage the faith of of readers that that the rest of the book would resemble anything would give anything satisfying yeah why do you want to read it at that point yeah who cares yeah. it's like oh uh, well you've got this character but, uh, but you could kill them later so why do i care why should i care about them at all yep i don't care about anything in your book and therefore why am i reading it yep so so anyway, anyway let's jump yeah. over to eight eight okay a rundown of eight is welcome to the meld an inhospitable dimension in time where joshua a chrononaut finds himself trapped with no memory or feedback from the team of scientists that sent him, he can't count on anything but his heart and a stranger's voice to guide him to his destiny. Written by Raphael Albuquerque and Mike Johnson with art by Albuquerque. You know, this is a tale of two books for me. It had me uh, really going. Uh, it starts with this man, Joshua, who wakes up on this slope in a desert in a spaceship. And he has no memory of what's happening. And then he's able to communicate into the future, I guess. It's not really touched on that heavily. But somebody else over a radio, basically. And where he's, where am I? What am I doing? Et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wow, this is a strong start. I'm into this. And then he gets kidnapped and the issue ends. And I don't know where the book's going. How many times do we say this? 
I, I, a lot. And this way too uh, this often. Book, this book ended up being a big, a giant bundle of oh my god, you made me not care. I don't yeah. care. Um, the uh, I I guess something that bothers me so much about science fiction comics and a lot of the com- comics we read is oh my god are they so obsessed with pushing the weirdest world they possibly can um you know the or, or these weird you know or, or a weird genre mix or these mm-hmm. I, I i just you know it's the part that i of your book that i did i that is secondary i don't care I, about I, your world i don't care yeah. about your world i don't care, I care about, about your, your world story. Yeah, I care, I care about, about your characters and story. Yeah, so, so I, I just went. Well, at the end of this, I was like, I don't give a shit about anything in this book. I was starting to give a shit. Mm-hmm. I was, I was on my way. I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to find out. Although, although the 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 uh, the the inter- interaction with the um, with the chrono knot. Uh, although at a time you're like, oh, he didn't really, it's like time travel, except he didn't really seem to time travel. He seemed to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, and the scientist was like, oh, wow, this is an exchange I feel like I've read before. Um, I did, I just, there was a lot of stuff, uh, there, a lot of stuff about that. I just didn't feel that it was all that new and interesting. Mm-mm. I didn't feel anything from this that made me feel like it was new and or interesting. I think that's the problem that I had is that the story wasn't interesting enough. It, it didn't make you didn't bring me enough in with the characters. And I'm so just inundated with with sci fi books that, and many of them with better stories than this one. There was uh, there was one thing that drew me in in the first couple issues starting off your character with a blank slate memory, basically is always fun uh, or always can be fun but it disappeared a little too quickly it disappeared a little too quickly but what sold me on the first few pages is this entire book uses a three-tone color palette it's kind of like a gold orange blue different uh, shades and hues of blue and red uh, kind of a deep kind of a you know dried blood red those are basically the only colors used in this entire book. And the landscape when the character Joshua wakes up is this, you know, kind of orange gold sky with this white landscape with this blue character. It felt a lot like the best parts of Pitch Black. Okay. Where you just had these crazy hues and the world seemed like, wow, okay, this is a really striking alien landscape. And then he gets knocked out or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And everybody uh, wakes up and he's basically in Mad Max. And I was like, oh, guys, come on. You really had me sold with this alien landscape and this man having no memory and having to figure out what's going on. And then now you're trying to shove a post-apocalyptic world that I've seen 50 billion times down my throat. Yeah. So... I'm just I'm 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 uninterested. Yeah, didn't, just didn't grab me with the, didn't grab me with the first uh, first issue. Um, I feel like I feel like it feels like a rehash of a couple different things. So just too bad because I really like the first ten pages and visually this book is one of the most striking books I've seen in a while. I loved 
the color presentation of it. I felt that I I felt that it was a little the color presentation was familiar, but the art style or it was was great, but the art style was a little too familiar to me. I don't we've know actually we've read books by Albuquerque before. Uh, that's yeah. probably why. Um, I'm trying to remember who or what book we read from him. Uh, American Vampire. Mm. Which was a which is a good book. Yes. Uh, yes, very uh, is a very enjoyable book. Which is different. Which a, which is a book that was far more recognizable. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it was doing it. It was often its own thing, which was great. Um, and maybe yeah. this book goes there, but again, you know, hook me in your first issue. Tell me what's going. Don't tell me what's going to happen, but point me in a direction. For example, he introduced the villain at the end of the first issue. I felt that was really, really unnecessary. I would have been much more interested finding out where the main character is going. Mm-hmm. Because he and, essentially wakes up and then he's like, here's the meld. And it's this big city kind of Mad Max wasteland thing. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not my favorite thing no, in the no, world. It, but... it, it's, it's, it's way more – with those uh, animals, it's way more tattooing. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> the uh i'm like the i was thinking a little bit more i was thinking a little bit more like somebody shoved somebody on a forceless tattooing yeah okay but that's another fair it just uh the way everybody's wearing goggles and it's it seems a little bit more relevant to the real world for lack of a better term that it, it felt more mad maxi to me but yeah I just, I just, yeah, I don't feel like there's any part of this book that comes through really clear. Mm-mm. So I, it's I'm too bad yeah. because the first few pages, I was really into it. Yeah. So that's uh, a no read for me. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I, I, I lean that way as well. I just, man, I love the color palette in this book. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that was why. That was why the the. the the major thing when I finished re- skipping through this book, I went, "Oh yeah, I don't care." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, I don't care. You spent a lot. Somebody spent a lot of time on this, but man, uh, the uh, the uh, there's nothing about this that I care about. Yeah, that's and that's fair. I I ended the issue that way mostly as well, and which is too bad because I was I was really bullish on the book. Uh, for I mean, it even brings in Nazis, and it even brings in Nazis, and you don't care. Yeah. Oh, it's, that felt really forced. That whole yeah. interaction where the scientist is holding up a picture and he says, "One last look. I need this emblazoned in your memory." And it felt really. No one would ever say that, and it could have been served with saying, "One last look. Remember this face." Which is also really which tells great. the audience the exact same thing that they told in like three paragraphs. Which is also really great because he's in a ship, and why you go? Why don't you just give him the picture? <laughs> yes, that's a really good point. <laughs> like one last look before I take this away from you, so you have the opportunity to forget later. Yes. <laughs> versus versus handing you this picture and perhaps writing a note on the back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, if only you were in this thing where I could give you something that you could take read with you later if you lose your memory. In fact, um, here's an entire book. Yeah. You know, you didn't Terminator this. Yeah. He, he stays in the ship. <laughs> Which is actually uh, one of the things that my current comic, Time Dick, is it 
it does have a much more Terminator uh, mechanism mm-hmm. to time travel, where you go over naked, which is actually really hard to write. Uh huh. Because you're like, shit, they can't take anything with them. That means you need to draw some allusion to them acquiring whatever they have with them mm-hmm. somewhere before. And yeah, but this wasn't the case in this story at all. The dude took a ship with him. Yeah. So there's no excuse for there's no excuse for uh, the device of take a last look. Yes. Like, no, no, just just you could have sent him over in a party bus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. If, if this was that if this was so important, maybe like a refresher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, you might lose your memory, but no problem. We got you covered. You know, Here's your mission. give him a thumb drive with play me written on it. <laughs> yeah. Put a, put a little TV screen in the ship. In fact, do, you, you can even do the uh, you can even do a little total recall and have it be you know have it be said by him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, You're not going to remember much. This is what you need to remember. <laughs> and you believe me because I am the one telling you. Yes. So yeah, there's just. Uh, yeah, I, I guess the the further we analyze the story, yes, it, the less I like it. Yes, I agree. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm I'm not going to give this a read. It, which is too too bad because again, I love the color palette, which seems like a not pretty. a big deal, but it really is in the context of this being an alien world and identifying itself as such visually and being very strong in that presentation. It really is a pretty big deal in this book. Unfortunately, there's not a lot around it to hold that up. Nope. All right. So, anyway, uh, so we well, might be long. back next week because uh, we're going to have to fit in two podcasts in three weeks because I am heading to Nicaragua in February. So the our, so our last our last podcast before Brock is uh, Brock is fitted with a bomb collar. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll uh, that means a lot of reading for us. Yeah, for sure. So that's all we have for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Be sure to drop us a line at countercomic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at schlockworks.com. We can view our podcast archives, check in on our other projects. If you're inclined, please drop by iTunes or Stitcher and give us a review. Thanks again. I am Brock Beauchamp. I'm Nick Hemsing. Bye-bye, everybody. Toodles. Toodles.